Well, good afternoon, church. Praise the Lord. I'm trying to gauge where we are at today. Do you feel a little bit like we are where we were some two weeks ago? Waiting in anticipation. You know, before the elections, it was a time of the politicians to do their thing, right? During the elections, we did our thing, right? But now is the time of the lawyers. It has been. Tomorrow will be the time of the judges. And everybody has their time. And, uh, you know, Kenyans have this way of gleaning new vocabularies. I, I don't know what you learned from the legal uh, fraternity. Um, I had one, I had memorized it, and now I've completely forgotten. Because <laughs> they use long words, you know. Uh, one of them was, uh, um, it was from Gidu Muigai. Um, how did it start? It had sanctimonious in there. You know, self-righteous, sanctimonious pontification. You must learn these things. These are important moments, you know, defining moments. I, I personally never desired to hold a public position. I don't know about you. Maybe this is maybe your, your bucket list goal, one of your goals. But um, when I think about the positions that uh, different people Hold, but nobody also has ever offered me one. So to be fair, you know, I might just be saying this, but nobody has ever offered me a public position. But one position, if I'm offered, that would cause me to flee the country is the office of the chairman of the IEBC. I would actually flee. I would become a refugee. There are some positions I cannot take. And uh, as I was thinking about that man, I thought, wow, it must be really, really hard, you know. Uh, one side of the country paints you as a hero, the other one paints you as a villain, you know? And this is the same person, you know? And I think about people like that, because they have families, they have loved ones, and, and yet you, you get the sense of that the weight of the nation is on you. Um, so we pray, let's pray for such people. Let's pray for such people. We, we also have uh, an invitation for prayer. Uh, from the president of the Supreme Court and the deputy. I hope you heard that. Eh? They said very clearly, pray for us that we may return to Kenya a judgment that is worthy. Those are not casual things coming from the very top because tomorrow they pronounce themselves. And as they do this, you know, you can imagine um, where we are at as a nation right now, you know, just imagine the position, for example, of the president-elect. How much is hanging on tomorrow's decision? You know, it is great weight. And with him, half of the nation. If that decision is quashed, and we have to go back to the polls, just imagine the import and the implications. These are heavy, heavy things. Very heavy things. Not just for us, uh, but for them. I mean, we are also anxious, right? Or you're neutral? <laughs> Nobody is neutral when it comes to presidential elections. Don't be lied to by anyone. We are all heavily invested. Not a bit, heavily and completely. Unless you are not Kenyan. 
Okay? So these are important things. Imagine how invested you are and you are not even the president. You know? Imagine if it was you waiting for that decision. These are heavy things. Very, very heavy things. So um, let's, let's not um, uh, take lightly uh, the invitation to pray. The invitation to pray. That God would grant those judges the wisdom that they need. That um, in the litany of the countless um, paperwork and the evidence presented and the things that have been said, that God would help them filter through. Because God is also a God of truth and is a God of justice. And, and to be able to separate what is material, non-material, what is core, what is peripheral, what is truth, what is falsehood. It's a very, very big responsibility um, for the Supreme Court judges. And let's pray for them that uh, God would grant them the wisdom and that what they pronounce will be the counsel of God and the direction that God wants this nation to go. And as a people, as that is done, then let's also commit ourselves, like we've always committed, to support the decision that God makes for this nation, regardless of where it goes. Right? It's the most important Christian duty that you can do or that you can commit to during this season. God loves the country. God loves his people. And uh, God wants things to go well for us. Sometimes I get the feeling that uh, because we are believers, uh, we always expect that if God, uh, we've just sung, if God be for us, you know, um, and he is for us. But, but that doesn't mean that every God-led process will always be smooth. I hope you, do, you haven't bought into this. Uh, many times the things that God leads go well. There are also many times when God takes us through many hiccups and many bumps and many valleys and many mountains. Any casual study of scripture, whether you're looking at the greatest freedom movement of all time, the Exodus, is full of twists and turns. Because God is not just interested in a destination, he's also interested in growing his people through the process. And as we go through this process, don't, don't think that somehow God is not involved because there's not, you know, there's been, we thought there was an outright winner, now it doesn't seem so, now we are not sure, you know. It doesn't mean that God is not deeply involved. The process for God is as important as the destination that he is taking us. If you think about any key leadership transition that you can think about in scripture, including the most important one, which I would have imagined was David passing on the baton to King Solomon, his son. It was even predicted and prophesied that I will raise another son, you know, your own son. He's the one who will build me the temple. He will be a man of peace. You know. So you'd have expected a smooth transition. But at your own time, go and go through First Kings chapter 8. Sorry, not chapter 8, from chapter 1. First Kings. It opens with, with, with um, the leadership transition between David and Solomon. And surprise, surprise, things are not as smooth as you would have expected. The aged king is asleep, you know, he can't move, he's, he's much older. But he has not yet pronounced himself as far as the leadership of Israel is concerned. And you would imagine somebody with the wisdom and the godliness of King David 
automatically would have already foreseen this and known that leadership transition is a delicate matter and cannot be left too long or to chance. But he did not pronounce himself until it was very late, almost too late. And in the meantime, what happens? One of his own sons rises up, Adonijah, and goes and coronates himself as king. He gathers people around himself, some priests and also, and people say, long live King Adonijah. Without the knowledge or the permission of King David. Now, you would think that a monarchy is easy enough to manage. How difficult can it be? You know, the son takes over from who? From the father. That's what a mon- how it, it works. There's no democracy, there's no campaign, there's nothing. You know, the son takes over from the father. That should be simple enough. But it wasn't. And within a short time, there was, you know, almost the entire nation uh, was going to go into serious conflict. And it takes Nathan, the prophet, to go and tell Bathsheba, hey, do you know what's happening? Your brother Adonijah has gone, your, your, your other son, son uh, stepson has gone and pronounced himself king. Do you know the implications of this? Once he becomes king, then you and your son Solomon will be treated as criminals. So go to King David and remind him what he promised. And she has to go and prompt the aged king to tell him, did you not swear that my son Solomon would sit on your throne after you? What is this that we are hearing that Adonijah has already proclaimed himself king? Is this something that my lord the king has done without, you know, letting your servant know? And immediately David rose up to the occasion and did what was supposed to be right. Um, he put his son on his own donkey. Uh, they went down to Gihon. He sent the priests um, and immediately he was coronated king. And people said, long live King Solomon. But even that transition was not smooth. When you read the first um, opening statements of, of, of first kings, then you immediately know the fact that God had already said it doesn't mean that it would go without a hiccup. Yes, Solomon was coronated king. He was established and became everything that God said he would be. But it was not a few, without a few hiccups. What happens is that human processes are flawed. Okay? And it shouldn't be a disappointment because we too are flawed. The things that we lead, the things that we do, even our own leadership is flawed. And that's normal. All right? But that doesn't undermine God's purpose for our lives. God's purpose still prevails and it comes to pass. So I'm saying this um, just to tell you, don't be unduly alarmed that there seems to be uncertainty, that there seems to be gaps, you know, and suddenly we thought we were headed a certain way and now we seem to be in limbo. Such processes or such things must happen. It is an invitation to prayer, an invitation to trust God so that the end result, it's God's doing rather than man's doing. Amen? I hope you can take that uh, space seriously. Because if everything goes smoothly, you have nothing to trust God for. But now we do. We do. And the stakes are high. And, 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 and uh, our futures are in the line. And, and also the destiny of the nation is in the line. And so when we say, shall we pray? We, we are not trying to sound spiritual. We are saying... We need to pray because clearly you can see um, that we need God's guidance and, and God's protection so that the miracle that we have experienced before, during, and after elections may continue regardless of what is going to happen tomorrow in terms of the pronouncement, whether we are to go back to the ballot or whether we are to uphold um, the results that were held. Everything requires the steadying hand of Almighty God.
something to pray for the judges. Again, uh, I just want to read a text that I came across. I thought, you know, it's good to know that God envisions the role of judges and the significance of the role that they play in steadying a nation. Uh, so Deuteronomy uh, chapter 16, uh, just a small snippet that I will read. You can listen from verse 18. The question of justice is not original to mankind. It's, it's original to God and who he is. Um, he wants uh, nations established through righteousness and through justice. And the question of truth is important to God. And so even for his own people, he knew Israel can never be a nation without certain parameters being honored. He says this in Deuteronomy 16:18. Appoint judges and officials for each of your tribes in every town the Lord your God is giving you, and they shall judge the people fairly. Question of fairness is important. And in every town, so that also justice is distributed equitably throughout the nation, not just some people having access to justice and others don't. Do not pervert justice or show partiality. These are real things you can pray about our judiciary and our justice system. Do not pervert justice or show partiality. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eye of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. Follow justice in justice alone, so that you may live and possess the land the Lord your God is giving you. So as part of the promise of taking possession of the land and thriving in that land, the administration of justice was an important part of Israel. And so as you pray for our judges, for our judiciary, that they shall be an impartial judiciary, not just for the presidential uh, thing, but in our dealings with each other, in how we live. That's how God wants us to live, that uh, we will have clean judges that don't accept bribes um, so that they lend, you know, Justice should never be for sale. Then in chapter 17, um, again, God envisions um, a country that is being run justly and where it's not that just that the judges are impartial and that they can administer justice uh, properly from his perspective, but also beyond that, that those who are led uh, themselves can be orderly people. Um, who do not flout justice and who, once judgment has been passed, then they adhere to whatever has been said. If cases come before your courts in verse 8 of chapter 17 that are too difficult for you to judge, whether bloodshed, uh, bloodshed, lawsuits or assaults, take them to the place the Lord your God will choose. Go to the priests who are Levites and to the judge who is in office at the time. Inquire of them and they will give you the verdict. You must act according to the decisions they give you at the place the Lord will choose. Be careful to do everything they direct you to do. Act according to the law they teach you and the decisions they give you. Do not turn aside from what they tell you to the right or to the left. The man who shows contempt for the judge or for the priest who stands ministering there to the Lord your God must be put to death. You must purge the evil from Israel. All the people will hear and be afraid and will not be contemptuous again. So again, the Lord envisions a people and a community 
of faith that are living according to the law. A breakdown of law and order is not envisioned anywhere in the nation that God leads. And so it's very important, and he says, they must not be contemptuous. They must adhere to the things that are said in the legal system. So again, those are areas that we need to pray. We are not known to be an orderly people. We are not known to be people who honor the law. Uh, in fact, we look for every opportunity to break it in many instances. And um, I'm keen to know how many will actually follow today the directions given by Reverend Jasmine to turn left uh, instead of right when going towards Raqqa today. So even today, we can witness who we are. But that's, it starts with small things. It starts with little things like overlapping, you know. Then we, you know, baptize them, good names. You know, overlapping is not bad. In fact, if you're in athletics, then you are really a champion if you can overlap your... Yeah, because you're running that fast. Um, and sometimes we enjoy watching our athletes do that, especially during long races. And by the time they're breaking that, they've overlapped other athletes several times. But when it comes to the law, um, even in places that we're not supposed to overtake and we do that, then we break the law. Then you break one law, it makes it easier to break another and another and another. And where do you stop? By the time you're realizing it, nothing is held sacred in the country and you can do whatever you wish. So let's pray for ourselves, even as we think about asking God to give us justice. Because he comes back to us and asks us, you want justice, but are you a just people? Are you a people who follow law and order? Or are you like Israel? The Bible says in one of the texts in Judges, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did as they deemed fit. That's a breakdown of law and order. It's total chaos. And then nothing becomes predictable. And anything goes. So even as we petition God for our nation, let's be careful to know that we are doing our part before we ask God to do his. He always does. He never fails. He is faithful. But are we? Today I wanted us to uh, quickly scan through a book, uh, an entire book, the book of Habakkuk. It's an interesting book. It's a lament by the prophet Habakkuk. And what he does, he cries out to God. And, and he's not actually praying, you know. He's not interceding. He's a prophet, but he's not interceding um, to God on behalf of the people. He's actually venting to God. Because he's seeing things and he's angry. He's actually angry with God and he's saying, you're supposed to be God. What is all this that's going on here? Why do you allow this to happen? He vents to God. God answers back. And maybe as we read, uh, glean through some of the things that Habakkuk says, because some of them are reflected in nations such as ours. My own theory is this, or my own position is that, what happens to a nation um, has already been reflected at individual level. Because if you want to talk about the state of the union, it's not the state... That can be very statistical and far away and distant and amorphous. But the state of the union is a state of the people of that nation. It's how we live with each other. It's how our families relate with each other. It's how we behave, how we act, what we say. 
one of the easy ways to know the state of the union is to go to social media and see how much love we have for each other there. Feel the love <laughs> in social media. That's a true state of the union. So if God is coming to contemplate or to judge a nation such as ours, he's private to all that information. This is who we really are to one another. So that even as we cry for righteousness and for justice and for mercy, God is saying, really, like you are so merciful to each other. Like you are really bonding with each other. I can see it here. You know? And that's what God sees. Nothing is hidden from his eyes. So, Habakkuk is looking at these things and he's getting angry with God. In fact, for him, he's calling for justice in terms of judgment. You know, just finish with this thing. We can't continue living like this. In other words, what we are doing with each other is not sustainable. And we all know, every time you hear um, a nasty case of injustice, yeah, and some of them are obvious, like, you know, um, a powerful uh, public figure coming to, 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 to steal land from, from um, you know, uh, from a widow, you know, or demanding bribes so that, you know, uh, such and such a thing can be done. Those things make us cringe. And you know, this is not right. You can't continue living like It's not sustainable. I should be able to get what I want because I deserve it. Not because I'm bribing somebody or I know somebody. But that's not how we live in this country. So, listen to Habakkuk and just let's reflect on it. The oracle of Habakkuk, the prophet, received. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. It's like, Lord, I can see these things. Surely you cannot just be up there and they do not concern you. How long will I look at this? The Lord answers, look at the nations and watch. And be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you will not believe. Even if you were told, I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings, dwelling places not their own. They are a feared and a dreaded people. They are a law unto themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than the wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at the fortified cities. They build earthen rams and capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. So that's a picture God gives Habakkuk. You think I don't see? I do. You think I'm not going to act? I will. But I won't act the way you think. And when I act, I'm not sure you will like it. Because when I come to deal, I will deal with it comprehensively. It's a very frightful picture that Habakkuk is given. And, and, and look at the accolades and, 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 and um, the description of the Babylonians. 
The first thing is that they don't acknowledge God. Their own strength is their own God. They go bent on their own honor. So what they will do is for their glory. It's a very scary picture. When you're confronted with somebody who is not accountable, they're accountable to themselves, they're the ultimate power, then there's nothing they cannot do. And this is the picture that God gives to Habakkuk. So God is saying, you guys think you know violence? You think you know corruption? You think you know dishonor? I will show you a people who will teach you a lesson about dishonor, about violence, and about godlessness. If that's the route you want to take, I will show you. Habakkuk gives a second complaint. Oh Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. Because of the picture he has been shown. Now, he's almost at a pleading level. But then he says, Oh Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. Oh rock, you have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they themselves? You have made men like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? Then he says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. It's an interesting conversation. So again, he throws this lament. Then he says, I will just you know, then I will wait to see because I know God has a response. And this is a beautiful relationship because Habakkuk knows that the one thing that he can expect from God is an answer. And that answer will come with some action. So that his prayer, his complaint, even though it's a lament against God, will not go unanswered. And that's a comfort that we can all take home. That irrespective of the circumstances that we go through, the prayers that we offer to God on behalf of our families, on behalf of our nation, on behalf of our children, our loved ones, will not go unanswered. God will answer. Sometimes the answers are not exactly what we expect, but that's why he is God. Because if we are to guide him on how to answer then we shouldn't even go to him in prayer in the first place. We go to him because we do not know or we do not have or we have no idea. Then he can give us guidance in terms of where he wants to go with this thing. Listen to the Lord's answer again. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. Again, God is not afraid to commit. He says, oh, you think I don't hear? Actually, I want you to write this down because it will come to pass and I want you to have a reference that we talked about this, this is what God said, then he'll bring it to pass. For the revelation revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Then he describes now the Babylonians. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. Okay, so this is snatched out. This is one of the quotations that uh, 
Paul will make um, right somewhere talking about the lordship of Christ that the just shall live by faith. Because in the midst of great trepidation, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of even fear, what sustains the believer? It is their faith in a God who does not lie. And so he says the just shall live by faith. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is as greedy as a grave. And like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. So this is Babylon at the height of her power. Because after this, she would not, she, at this time, she had already overpowered um, the northern kingdom of Israel. And now Judah would be overrun after Egypt had already been decimated under Syria. So it's, it's true, he's gathering nations um, like the wind. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captives all the peoples. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. Right? So whenever you come across those again, reflect, not just at the national level. Think about our own nation, the things we see, the things we hear. Uh, and my prayer is that none of us is involved in these things, like extortion. How long must this, must this go on? Will not, will not your debtors suddenly arise? Will they not uh, wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their victim. Because you have plundered many nations, the peoples who are left will plunder you. For you have shed man's blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Then he says this, Woe to him who builds his realm by unjust gain, to set his nest on high, to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the walls will cry out and the beams of woodwork will echo it. God can be very graphic when he's describing things. You can imagine these are inanimate objects. He starts war to him who builds his realm by unjust gain. You know, talking about corruption, to set his nest on high. Why? So that he can escape the clutches of ruin because he has so much stashed up. Then you have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. He says, This is the cost. Shame to your own house forfeiting of your life. Then, inanimate objects begin to respond. The stones of the wall will cry out, and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. I always try to reflect on what that means. And as I do the things that I do, as I build what I build, I want to know that there's nothing that can testify against my actions, my intentions in doing what I have done, that it must be done for the glory of God. Because if it is not, even that which does not speak will testify against what I have done. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by crime. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So the countermeasure to evil and darkness and corruption is the Lord filling the earth with the knowledge of himself as the waters cover the sea. Just as 
Light enters and darkness exits. That's the effect of God's presence in a nation. Evil cannot stay in the same place as light. Because he says, what communion has light with darkness? And so our prayers must be leveled towards asking for God's presence and his holiness to fill the nation, to fill our families, to fill our hearts, so that the corruption in us can exit. And anything that is against the will and the purpose of God. That is the antidote to corruption, darkness, and evil. The entry of light and truth and God's presence in the nation. then our social media will look different. You'll actually see somebody posting, oh, I'm so sorry you lost, but guess what? It's still our country. We love you. It could happen. Of what value is an idol? since a man has carved it. Or an image that teaches lies. For he who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. And this is a great time for us to be silent before God. And to invite God to pronounce himself about the direction of our country tomorrow using the mouthpiece of the Supreme Court. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let the earth be silent before him. Habakkuk says a third prayer. In chapter 3, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day, in our time. Make them known. It's a beautiful prayer. He cries out to God. He says, I have heard of your fame. And we know we've heard of God's fame. The great and mighty works that he has done. The healings, the deliverances, the salvation. He's done things. But now he's saying, renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In other words, Lord, this is when we need your powerful hand to be visible and to direct us in our affairs. Then he says an important thing. In wrath, remember what? Remember mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. Because God has pronounced himself regarding Judah. And he's saying, I am raising these people. And this is what they will do. Then he reminds him, God, we are still your people. In wrath, remember mercy. Do not destroy your people, your inheritance. We are still your people. Again, it's a great prayer for us to pray at this time. 
in wrath remember mercy so that in our self-justified sometimes I think arrogance we do not think that unless this thing goes according to what we want some people say to hell with it you don't want that hell you don't want it and if it comes it doesn't choose I can be terrible especially if it is God permitted because you can't stop it so the wise prayer is in wrath remember mercy God came to Timon the holy one from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the mountains, the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. The description of the entrance of God it's not something to cheer about. It's something that even the mountains themselves, they cringe. Because a holy God coming upon a people who are unrighteous, sinful, and guilty is not good news. Even prophets who have served him diligently pronounce and say, Woe unto me, for I am a man of sinful lips, and my eyes have seen the Holy One. An invitation for God's presence and God's guidance should always be tempered with humility and repentance and tears for our nation. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horse and your victorious chariots? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep rolled and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head. When his arrows stormed out, to, warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the stretched who are in hiding. The wretched who are in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I had... And my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones. And my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. And then he pens down that very famous text which we often quote out of context. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the field produce no food, 
though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The statement is born out of a deep assurance of the goodness of God, of his reliability, of the fact that even though he comes in wrath, he will remember mercy, that even though he comes to judge his people, he will always leave a remnant behind. It comes in light of knowing we are God's inheritance and our God is not malicious. And if we come to him in humility, in repentance, if we remind him of his promises and that we are his people, he will have mercy on us. And he will come and fight on our behalf. And he will raise a standard against the enemy who would love to devour us and destroy us. He will push back the darkness. And once more, he'll allow us to bask in the light of his glory and his goodness. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. From the feet that was trembling, he's now become his strength He's strong again. The feet of a deer, if you've ever seen a deer leaping, it's magnificent to behold. He enables me to go on the heights. So he makes a way and we are able to escape. I don't know about you, but it, it takes me back to a place where I'd like to surrender to God and really commit at a deep heart level for the sake and the good of our nation for the good of our future and our children to really ask God for his wisdom and for his steadying hand of our nation in these next few days and that once he pronounces himself tomorrow that he will bear us on eagle's wings safely to the other side and that the miracle that we have experienced of peace and unity before, during and after elections may continue after the Supreme Court judgment tomorrow. I want to invite you to stand so that we can pray. And this is your Christian duty, your personal responsibility, our collective responsibility as the people who are called by his name, that we may ask him for help and guidance and a steadying hand through this season.